safetyfm.com with Jay Allen. Changing safety cultures one broadcast and one podcast at a time. Welcome to Safety FM, where we talk about safety that's truly inspired by you. Hello and welcome to Safety FM. This episode of the broadcast and the podcast is brought to you by Safety Focus Moment. They can help your organization obtain the safety culture that you've been looking for. For more information, go to safetyfocusmoment.com. Hello and welcome to Safety FM. My name is Jay Allen and I will be your safety manager and host throughout this podcast today or broadcast depending on where you're listening to us. Today we have a discussion with James Skipper Kendrick, president of Kendrick Global Enterprises, LLC. So before we go on with this episode today, it's very rare for us to go off the topic of safety, but I really wanted to emphasize this. So as you can imagine, before we start doing anything related to the podcast, we always do some kind of, I guess, background check, information check, see what's going on within the industry. So we had recently did some research on my name. And as we did the research on my name, then came up with Jay Allen as a country singer, which kind of threw us off and kind of chuckled about it for a little bit. Then we started taking a look at this particular country singer, and his name is Jay Allen, and he has a website called jayallenofficial.com. And there was a story, and there was a song. Now, as we took a look at this song, um, there was a song that was on there that was called Blank Stairs. Now, this particular song, as we looked more and more into it, it was talking about his mom, and it was related to Alzheimer's disease. Now, Jay Allen is not affiliated to the show, and Jay Allen is not me, meaning the singer. I am a podcaster and broadcaster and a person that's involved with safety. But we listened to the song, and we were so moved by the song that we decided, hey, let's go ahead and reach out to Jay Allen, the country singer, and have a discussion real quick in regards of what we could do to assist because the song is called Blank Stairs, but what Jay has decided to do is that All of the proceeds for this song are going to go to fighting Alzheimer's disease. So what we asked if we could do, if it would be possible and have permission, of course, was to play Jay Allen's song on our podcast here today and reference onto our website, going to safetyfm.com about how you can assist with this. So if you go to safetyfm.com, there'll be a couple links. There'll be some links to Spotify in regards of you being able to listen to the song. There'll be a link to iTunes where you can purchase the song. And all the proceeds will go to Alzheimer's. And I thought it was just one of those things that was very moving, very inspirational as I read it, and just kind of one of those odd moments in life where we were doing research and this actually came up. I know the song came out in late 2017, but I really believe that this is a song worth taking a listen to. Listen to it here for the next few minutes here on Safety FM. Right afterwards, we will go directly into the interview with James Skipper Kendrick. But I really thought that we should take a listen to the song, listen to the words, and try to help Jay Allen out at jayallenofficial.com and really help this disease that's there. Here's Jay Allen on Safety FM. Okay. I just was wondering what what you're doing and I wanna ask her. Um uh, and to stay happy. Um There's a voicemail that I keep I listen to it just to hear you speak A sun turns to silence just like that No, I love you all goodbye Like you saw the phone in your hand and you didn't know why It's crazy how you come and go so fast Oh, how do I get you back? If I could only see the cracks you're slipping through Wish I didn't feel so helpless when it comes to helping you Hold on, 
So I keep holding on To every little memory made of you and me Every little glimpse of who you used to be I know you're still in there Deep down somewhere I swear I still see Between the blank stairs It's the first thing that I think about When I wake up and when I lay down It's the last thing I feel crawling through my mind I'm still trying to understand it Sitting next to you Holding your hand and hoping you won't fade away this time Just stay a little while Please stay a little while If I could only see the cracks you're slipping through Wish I didn't feel so helpless when it comes to helping you Hold on So I keep holding on to every little memory made of you and me Every little glimpse of who you used to be I know you're still in there Deep down somewhere I swear I still see Between the blank stairs It's getting harder and harder to watch you disappear Oh, you're falling farther and farther And leaving me in tears If I could only see the cracks you're slipping through Wish I didn't feel so helpless when it comes to helping you Hold on But I keep holding on Every little memory made of you and me Every little glimpse of who you used to be I know you're still in there Deep down somewhere I swear I still see Yeah, I still see Welcome to the show. I do appreciate you taking the time today to cover information about safety with us here on Safety FM. Well, thank you, Jay. It's uh, glad to have the opportunity. Well, Skipper, with you being on, I'd like to ask these questions right off the bat and really kind of get involved and have an understanding on how did you get involved in safety? I got involved in safety a long, long time ago uh, while I was still in high school. A guidance counselor came up and asked me if I would like to go to camp uh, for a week during the summer. Being a poor country boy, uh, that was a relatively easy question to answer, yes, because that meant I got to get a week out of doing work and chores around the, around the house and around the, the, the family for a week. I didn't ask any questions about what it was. Lo and behold, went to beautiful downtown Bunky, Louisiana, and walked into a little group called the Louisiana Youth Safety Council, and wound up having a week-long excursion, understanding what safety is all about, primarily from a home perspective, uh, automobile safety, not so much industrial. But uh, it got me hooked, and from that went back to my school, Dutchtown High School, we formed a safety club and became the vice president of the safety club during my junior and senior year. Well, that's, that's awesome. That is awesome. That had such an impact at you at that age. How did it evolve from there? That was the, the kind of the first taste of safety. So what did you do? So you, you referenced you started the club when you, when you came back. So how when did I came it back and mm -hmm. we had a number of different projects, saw the benefit of those, and then was uh, 
had college in the future. And when I went to college, I took a look and knew I wasn't going to be an engineer. I didn't like math. I didn't too much care for the sciences. But I saw this thing called industrial technology and had a lot of shop classes, looked interesting. And when I went in, there was an industrial technology degree uh, that prepared you for life working in industry. And in going in, there were three areas of interest, or minors, they call them nowadays, that you could pursue. Number one was nuclear uh, testing, non-destructive testing. The other was supervision and dealing with people. And the third was safety. And uh, that seemed to be right up my alley. So I chose that path and uh, got a degree in industrial technology from LSU. When you all of a sudden acquire this, this, your degree in safety, when did you start developing your definition of safety? Did you already have it after going establishing the club or was it once you had your degree, then all of a sudden you had your description of what safety meant to you? Well, as most people, I think we get out of school with the quote unquote knowledge and we think we understand what it is. But um, when I got out and got my degree, uh, there were no jobs in safety because it was in an era pre-OSHA. So I spent some time teaching industrial arts, high school shop teacher. And that's when I got my full appreciation of safety because we were turning anywhere from 10-year-old to 15-year-old kids loose with power machinery that could cause serious harm. And there was only one instance where we had an injury in the shop, and this was because a student took a brand new joiner, removed the guard, and then knowingly ran his finger across the spinning guard. That And that kind of piqued my interest in not only you got the rules to follow, but why don't some people follow the rules? And what can you do over and above? Just say that we provided a guard. OSHA says you have to have a guard. Now do this. So it kind of set a tone uh, for my first real job, which was that in a shipyard. So now that this occurred, so you've seen your first injury, now all of a sudden you're going into the shipyard. What is now at this particular point in your career, your definition of safety? Uh, my definition of safety is making the numbers and don't get people hurt. But very quickly, I realized I was brought in with the idea of reducing the numbers because I just wanted a job and maybe I didn't do such a good job of looking at the company uh, before we went in. But uh, when we did go in, uh, found out that there was an average of one recordable case and one workers' compensation case per person per year over the last three years. So I had a fairly fertile ground of opportunity to be able to get started with. But I think the thing that really set the tone for everything else was after about six months being there and doing some things, I got a call one night at the house and watching Johnny Carson that a gentleman had fallen off of the dry dock doing some repair and a work flat, and uh, they had not been able to find him. There's a long story that goes along with it, but when we got there, the gentleman had drowned uh, as a result of not having life jacket on and not having handrails up. We paid a healthy fine to the agency for those two, which again, not having looked at it, the shipyard had been issued previous citations uh, in the past for those so that they were considered willful. But little be known that that wasn't the worst of it because about six months after we paid the fines and thought everything was done and over with, we had some federal marshals show up at the gate and asked to see Willie and Bill, who are superintendent and supervisor, at the yard that night. And long, again, another long story short, 
they put them in handcuffs, put them in the back of the car, and took them downtown to the federal facility and with criminal charges for an occupational a violation of the Occupational Safety and Health Act. Well, that, that will definitely leave a very lasting impression, especially with this being the first circumstance of that actually occurring when you're being involved. Well, not only that, but it was the first successful prosecution of a criminal violation in the history of the agency. As we went to the courthouse in New Orleans and our company president stood up and pronounced the words guilty on two different occasions to a criminal violation of the Occupational Safety and Health Act, which caused one of our employees their life. So, uh, impression to say the least, and it kind of shaped my career from then on. Well, and that brings up an excellent question. So what do you think now with, a, the, I guess, the highest rank executive of a company can be held personally liable for the safety of his employees or her employees within the company? How do you feel about that change? I think that it's um, just like any other aspect of the business. They're held accountable for the finances. They're held accountable for the quality. They're held accountable accountable for their customer satisfaction. They're held accountable to the stockholders for performance on the street. So my view is why not be held accountable for safety, which is another part of their business. Again, this is a classic case, uh, just another example of the idea that we as safety professionals are responsible for safety. And I've got a big, I've got a personal opinion of that, is that no, we're not responsible for safety. We are there to assist management. We're there to assist leadership in being able to do the best job that they can in running the business. And one key component of the business is safety. And learned a lesson a long time ago from my grandfather, and I call it the lesson of the milking stool. He had an old three-leg, well-worn milking stool, and when we took it out to the barn to milk the cow, he taught me a great lesson. He said, son, look at the legs of this stool. What do you notice about it? Well, we got three, Grandpa. He said, that's right. What else do you notice? Well, they're all the same length. He said, that's right, too. He said, you can kind of survive by rocking back on two of them, but it's best if all three are left on the ground and you get your best results with all three of them being equal length on the ground and solidly rooted. So I developed a philosophy that uh, safety is just kind of like my grandpa's old milk and stew. The three legs are number one compliance. You know, uh, I graduated before OSHA, been through OSHA, and OSHA has done a tremendous amount of good in our society and our country over the years. But it is a minimum standard, it is minimum regulations, but we will never, ever, ever get away from the compliance and the regulatory piece of it. So that safety and health professionals, let's just deal with it. Let's get that done and get behind us. Because we find that the, those who have a excellent or leading safety record or performance are, do very, very well at the other two aspects in addition to compliance. And the first of those aspects is the business. And we as safety professionals need to understand and have this thing called business acumen. Yeah, we've got to understand the regulations, but we've got to understand how those regulations work in and through the business. And bottom line, if we're not there to make money or we're not doing the things that we need to do to keep us in business, there are no jobs for us as safety professionals. And I think that this is our greatest challenge in being able to reach out and being able to understand what uh, the business acumen and the language of business. And as I talk to young students uh, in getting their degrees in safety, inevitably I'll get a question as to is a master's degree worthwhile? And I'll tell him, yes, it is, but that master's degree needs to come from up on the hill. 
And I strongly recommend a master's in business administration because you're now going to deal in an area of strategy rather than your safety area in functionality, which will give you powerful tools when you get out and have to deal with those people who are running the business. I absolutely agree with you on that comment right there, because here's what ends up taking place. And this is just my point of view. We have safety professionals that finally make it into that big boardroom or they make it into where they have the upper management and they're not able to speak the language that they need to be able to speak to upper management. If I sit in there and I start telling you about a regulation, if I start telling you about a code and I'm not able to address your return on investment, most of the times they don't care what you have to say. And I agree with you 100% on that. No, that is correct. And that is one thing that we're just as a society, as a profession, we're just coming around to realizing that we need to look at the business. And I had a CEO who was a mentor a long time back that says, hey, all of you guys, meaning safety professionals, you want a seat at the seat table. You know, CEO, COO, CIO, CFO, and all of those other folks. And he says, I don't mind you having a seat, but you've got to get your seat just like I got mine. You've got to earn it. We are changing safety cultures. One broadcast and one podcast at a time. SafetyFM.com. I spend a lot of time in the backyard, and in 09, it was me, your fire pit, that accidentally started a wildfire when one of my embers landed on dry brush. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com, brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. This message is for all of you sitting in the passenger seat, and apologies if it gets a little uncomfortable, but how does it feel to be at the mercy of someone who thinks a random text is more important than your life? Someone who takes their eyes off the road while speeding along in a three-ton hunk of steel. Freaky, right? Well, why not just ask them to stop? Or better yet, volunteer to text for them. It might be a little awkward, but believe me, you'll live. Learn more at StopTextStopRex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. SafetyFM.com with Jay Allen. Changing safety cultures, one broadcast and one podcast at a time. Absolutely. And I know that I interrupted you earlier and I want to make sure that we get that third leg in there because I know that my audience will crucify me if I don't get that information out from you. Well, I was, I'm not going to let you forget that because it's most probably, it depends on how many people think about it, it's most probably the toughest of the three and that's people. And I don't care which business you're in, what industry you're in, what type profit, not for profit, but we can't do these types of things without people. Even in the most automated of our industries, it takes somebody to design it, set it up, maintain it, run it, program it. And that is the most interesting portion of our aspect. You know, the the challenge of dealing with that infinite human variable. And let's face it, all of us are there and we feel better some days than others. Our mind, when we're at work, does not strictly stay for 8, 12, 10 hours on the task at hand. And how can we, as a profession, take a look at understanding that we're not perfect? We hear a lot of, a lot of verbiage being used in the safety community of, are you a behavior-based safety guy? Are you a human perform or a human organizational performance person? When I hear you talk, I can't figure out which one you kind of coincide with. So which one do you think that you fall into or you really don't have a category? I don't have a category. And that's been our problem. As we fall in and we try to, we're looking for the silver bullet and we try to fall into those things or we want the easy way out. And it is, it is not easy. And I think that this behavioral or human performance, error reduction, whatever, is we've got to have a system that is fairly similar to this. Uh, Tough to do, easy to say, but tough to do. Knowing that we are creatures that make mistakes, we're not perfect, to allow us to make that mistake, but then get back between the lines and have a minimum of a consequence for that error. 
and I think it's when we put the best of both worlds together uh, from my friend Dr. Georgie Popoff and prevention through design. Not only prevention from the guarding aspects of it, but pre prevention through the anticipation of what the human element might be and where we might be uh, exposed, where we might be at risk, and then understanding that sometimes we're all going to fail but let us fail in a methodology that we can learn from it and we don't get hurt. But you hear this new safety point of view and I get very confused on what are we talking about here? I, I, I do believe that yes, I think that you're right on target when you're telling me, yes, there is not one that is the fix all. It's not the silver bullet. So I get confused on what is this new point of view on safety? Well, this new point of view has been around quite a lot. Uh, we're just, Everything old is new again, the old saying goes. And when you take a look at human performance and error reduction, the Department of Energy, the INL, the nuclear business has been doing this and understanding it from a risk perspective, from a design perspective, and consideration of the human element into this. The aerospace industry has been doing this for a long time with that person sitting in the cockpit of from my former employer, a helicopter, or sitting there with a 787 Dreamliner with 300 and something passengers in the back, and they've learned the systems and the interaction and the interdependency of the human on these systems, and they've learned, by and large, how to make it work. So I think what's happened over a period of time, and if you notice one of the keys in the sessions, there were a number of sessions that are now talking about HOP, human organizational performance. Well, my personal view is they put the organizational word in there from the old human and era to get the business community to sit up and pay notice. But again, it is the same thing that we're talking about because we use the same concepts in business. For example, if you've got a quality control issue and there are defects coming out of a machine, what do we do? We go back, we take a look at it, we solve the problem, we take a look at the process, all up and down the value chain, the supply chain, and then we fix the process to where to a degree, we can relative we can count on relative quality and consistent production. Matter of fact, the whole industry of Six Sigma and was built and is built around these types of concepts. So I think they're talking, and it's an idea with this behavior or era or design, which came first, the chicken or the egg. And I don't think we'll ever get to that. I do do firmly believe, though that by looking at the potentials, by looking at good design principles, looking at us humans as infallible creatures, and then asking a simple question in my wildest imagination, what could happen? And then deciding whether we're gonna address that risk and or not address the risk, I think we'll get a lot further down the road. And we as safety professionals, oh, you know, I speak with, and I use this for myself, I'm lazy. I want to take the easy way out. Give me the magic pill. Give me the silver bullet to be able to do this. And over time, we're learning that there are none and that we've got to do it. And just like that CEO said, I got no problem giving you a seat at the table, but you got to earn it. And he earned his or she earned hers through good hard work. And I think that that's what we do. Our issue, though, is the results or the our failures can often have catastrophic consequences and become front page news. And, and that's the truth that we are a failure to fail. And what I and I always get worried about the whole portion of are uh, are the consultants using this terminology that they're they're kind of reusing. And you kind of did address that. You being the president of Kendrick Global Enterprises, which you can find out more information at, at safetybyskipper.com. Do you have a lot of people contact you and say, hey? I want to fix my culture. I want to fix my safety programs and get, say, essentially they're looking for the magic bullet. A 
lot of people are looking for that quick fix, that magic bullet. I had a call a couple of years ago with someone calling wanted to change culture in six months. We finally agreed that I was not the best person to do that because it's not going to be a it's not going to be a sprint. This is a marathon that we're in. And when we're talking about culture, uh, you just hit on one of my favorite topics, uh, because as you noted during the PDC and in Seminar Fest and in numerous, we're all looking for this thing called a safety culture. And I get into a lot of good discussion, which is great. I have my own ideas on this, but if I had my druthers and if I had the ability to, I would not utilize it as safety culture because, number one, each business has its own culture. That's a given. Each business has values, beliefs, assumptions relative to that culture. Why not use the same tools, techniques, processes, management skills that have developed that culture? utilize them for safety just as they use them for quality cost schedule product integrity customer satisfaction marketing all of the other things and again i go back to my business leg of that stool in that we need to be able to utilize that because one of the sure things that i've learned from this perspective there are more of them bosses and business people out there always have been, always will be, then there are of us as safety professionals. And our biggest advantage is how to utilize that power, how to utilize that and how to help them understand that I don't need to be, and another one of my favorites is I don't subscribe to this thing of safety first. Our business is satisfying the customer, the mission, it's making money, if we don't do that, we're not in business. But I'm not suggesting that safety's last either. That if we can pull together and understand what we are, understand the elements of business acumen, understand the management tools that are already in their toolbox, and just apply them to safety as we apply to each of the other elements of the business, then we don't have to put safety first. It's definitely not last, but just treat us equal so that safety is an equal part of your culture, just as the other elements of this business acumen would be. And if so, um, I think we'd be far, far better off rather than trying to do something for business and then doing something for safety. So when you give that, when you get, when you give that answer like that, and you're talking to somebody who's behavior based, and that's their strong belief in safety, and you're telling them all of a sudden now, take away safety first, or at least the line of it. And they, I mean, let's be realistic. Most people that are behavior based safety, they're big proponents of that. They kind of want to, they want your behavior to adjust to have this mindset of, I believe in, in you. I believe that I'm going to take care of you. And I'm not saying that the hot people don't think that, but there's a big push with that. So what's the pushback that you get when you make that statement to someone who believes in behavior based safety? Well, the pushback is they really don't understand in a lot of cases what they're talking the concepts of hop behavior-based safety or everything else. And they're trying to take a look at it from a compliance-based mindset in a lot of cases. And when I, I've asked this question for a long, long time, is where do people who are leading the business, plant managers, CEOs, chief operating officers, presidents, in their preparation and in their formal education, where do they get at least a three-hour, four-credit course telling them about a little bit about the safety health side of the business, which is a big component in a lot of cases. And to this day, I've not found many or any that uh, understand or know where that is being done. So we've got to teach them. What do we teach them from? We teach them from a compliance and a functional mindset because that's been as a profession our bringing. So, you know, I, I, I sit here and I, and I listen to your response and, I, and I'm trying to, to go back and kind of go through the whole thing. But the interesting part of what you're saying, of course, you have to have a foundation and it makes sense of, you know, you have to have some kind of structure starting off and then kind of change it to what you want and what your needs are as an organization. 
But if you sit here and you speak to someone who's behavior-based, and I'm just kind of throwing that out there, and you, they'll turn around and you tell, and you tell them that you know, hey, that you had this potential error and this could have occurred. What ends up taking place is that that you'll have somebody come around and turn around and tell you that if that person was a better employee, that that issue would not have occurred. And I always find it interesting on how some of those concepts end up working. And I don't know and when I and I when I look at it, it's like I'm not saying that I agree 100% with Hop because that's not the case with me, and I don't agree 100% with behavior-based safety, and I'm just kind of torn in between. But listening to some of your answers, it's I, I always kind of figure out what is the best case scenario, and I really just think that you have to turn around, and it's really based on the organization themselves. There's no way that it's that one program will fit everybody. I mean, I do. Uh, exactly. And that, but that's what we're looking for is we're looking for the easy way out. We're looking for one brand that we can get that will fit within a shipyard, that'll fit within construction, that'll fit out on the oil rig, that'll fit in a hospital situation. And there is, at least I've not found one, one simple program, as you speak, that will work in all of those. And I think your your analogy is right. Uh, it is a function of behavior. It is a function of hop. But neither one of those two in and of itself is going to be the magic bullet. And behavior will have an impact on human error and organizational performance. Human organizational performance will have an impact on errors in the potential. So it's how do you do this in the overarching categories of what business you do, what risk you're looking at, and bottom line is what's your ability and what's your stomach for that risk from a business and a people perspective. So what do you think has caused the market confusion when it comes to both methods? Do you do you blame the consultants for doing it? Do you believe that it's the salespeople that are trying to push their program? Or do you believe that it's the word that we use from time to time, which is the magic word, customizable. We have a customizable program that's going to work and fix all of your needs. You used a very interesting word there, and you, were, you used the word blame. And you see how easy it is as safety professionals to try to fix the word blame on something or somebody. And I don't think that you can affix a quote unquote blame on any of the elements that we've discussed. I think salesmen are gonna do that. They wanna sell their product. You've got the infomercial with the guy on the plaid coat telling you that even though that you don't need it, you ought to buy it. We've got safety professionals that are looking for something new, that are looking for something to make things happen. You've got executives that are looking to make this thing called safety go away so that I can pay attention to what I really need to pay attention to, productivity and all of this other good thing. The greatest tool in my toolbox is akin to a crescent wrench where you can it fits metric and it fits English. You can tighten down on it when you need to, but you can also loosen up on it when you need to. And if applied in the right direction and knowing where to apply the force, you don't round the head. You don't round the uh, heads of that nut. Absolutely, absolutely, and that is such a true statement as as you put it there. It's all it's all, it's about definitely having the correct tool, and I think that's where sometimes where we lose sight because we're just looking for the fix all. Now, I do have a, a strange question for you. When we do start talking about correcting the systems per se, do you think a safety management system plays a factor into that? Well, again, we've used the word safety in front of it as a qualifier. Uh, We've got systems to run the business or else we don't run the business. Whether it's profit, for-profit, military, whatever, there is a system there. Why should we have a distinct and separate safety management system? Why could not we just incorporate it? Now, not being naive, we may have to put some elements in uh, to be able to run parallel for a short period of time. However, at the end, the better companies uh, 
the man there is no quote unquote safety management system. Uh, it's a management system that includes safety. But to be able to single out that for safety in and of itself, I think it's it's definitely a starting point if you have nothing but the best of the best have figured out a way to assimilate and totally integrate it to where in a lot of the companies from the management system perspective, uh, safety becomes uh, as strong, if not stronger than any other, but it's silent. So with now the big push coming out for international standard 45,001, and I guess a lot of the push has been build your safety management system using that as your skeleton and your guide. How do you figure that you could do a management system without being, per se, quote unquote, a safety management system tie into 45,000? Well, I challenge anybody to go do this, to take a look at the elements of 45,001, take a look at the elements of OSAS 18,000, to take a look at any of the elements of ISO, any of them, or VPP, and you pick any one element and find that that element is being done from a business perspective and they're already doing that. So the people that are running and have a great business model and management system for their business are typically not going to have too much trouble getting compliance and getting a certificate on the wall. But 45,001 for the first time outlines basically like OSHA did for the U.S., kind of some minimum standards that we're going to look to. And in some areas and some developing countries, this is going to be new. And because business is done just a little bit different, but I think we've laid a good business platform out in terms of the management elements. And it Again, if we look at 45,001, we take a look at those and those activities or those elements are being done. They may not be called exactly the same, but they're being done for good business performance in some way, somehow, within the business prospectus and within the way business is being done. So when it comes to 45,001, are you, do you believe that the, the company should self-certify if they have somebody who is 45,001 that's already taken some of the classes, or do you believe that they should outsource it? I think that, number one, uh, as within most of the other certifications, it's going to be third party. And that you're going to need to take a look at somebody else is going to have to take a look at you and say, yes, you're doing it. But the idea before you do that you should have no problem and there should be nothing new. Now, let me ask you something here that I've seen a lot of companies do and I want your your opinion on it. When somebody rewards somebody for doing something safe, quote, and I'm throwing quotation marks in the air as I'm saying that, what's your general feeling about that? I give you a gift, an award, because you did something safe. You're the, the safety employee. You're the, the safety guru for that particular period of time. What do you feel about that? Well, I'm a big believer in rewarding good performance, but it's what performance that we are rewarding. And again, I go back to our example of when we report up to our business partners, we're reporting negative things, we're reporting things. A long time ago, OSHA, when it was enacted, um, people are gonna ask, how am I doing? How am I doing? Well, they came up with a variant of the old ANSI standard uh, for injury and illness to get you a number because that's what we look at in business is the numbers. Well, that works on a global, on a national scale with various tens of thousands or millions of hours exposure in this particular scenario. But it does not necessarily work when we're looking at our businesses and a little 10 person business uh, because one can you give you a quote unquote greater injury illness rate than one injury within a large um, bureaucratical multi
multifaceted, multinational organization. So number one, I think we've chosen as a metric, and this was not OSHA, we in industry have chosen to do this as comparing it to a benchmark. We've chosen the wrong metric. And as such, we've got to figure out, and again, this is another one, leading indicators. In my view, leading indicators are taking a look at hazards, taking a look at risk, taking a look at the behaviors relevant to those, and modifying those, reducing those to the lowest possible denominator that we can, and then giving the appropriate rewards. Because all too often, as a manager and working with businesses who, in the early days, would reward a supervisor, for example, or making their numbers, quote-unquote, and getting there, that supervisor most probably did not do, and in some cases didn't do anything. They were just lucky that nothing happened to them, where the supervisor, who is also getting the same award, had worked his butt off and has got excellent uh, vision, excellent activities relative to safety. So in that regard, we've got to take a good strong look at what we're rewarding people for and the metrics we're using behind that and in this vein one of the things that I'm very passionate about at this point in time is an award that we give away and we see it frequently for millions of hours without this thing called a lost time incident well as I've matured and as I've grown are we really rewarding safety? Are we rewarding our ability to control workers' comp days away and all of this? And are we really looking at it because we're rewarding a lessened value of failure? And we can sit here and I could name several examples of organizations who had great metrics when it came to this thing of recordable cases, lost workday cases, but suffered significant emotional events, catastrophic losses, uh, resulting in multiple fatalities and uh, national media attention. So I think that we need to find out, we need to stop giving ourselves credit and awards for this thing of not hurting people. Uh, hurting, not hurting people will be a result of our activities, a naturally occurring result of our activities from eliminating hazards, from lowering our risk potential, better design in our processes and our organizations. And it would not hurt my feelings at all if we never ever saw an organization with one of these plaques or somebody presenting them with another award for X number of hours, years, days, whatever the case may be, without uh, a lost time case. Well, I think that what ends up taking place is by doing that, we're actually trying to deter people from actually reporting an accident also at the same time or an incident, because now all of a sudden they don't want to be the person that causes the company to now not be able to celebrate that. Because I've been involved with organizations where they'll turn around and be like, oh, if we go X amount of hours, X amount of days without an accident or an incident, we're going to do a barbecue. We're going to do gift cards. And I think that it really deters people. Oh, I just did something that was a no-no. And all of a sudden, I don't want to be the guy to spoil it for, for everyone. So I think we see eye to eye when it comes to that back to another thing from the organizational performance and that type of thing is that if we can become uh decker reason conklin and even scott geller and all of the all of the proponents now of a learning organization and how can i have a learning organization and the human performance gurus of today uh have titled that a just organization, where if we make a mistake and nobody gets hurt, but nothing happens, let's report that to figure out because of the fact that we didn't get hurt, we were just lucky. The similar things could have caused, you know, in the first aid case, recordable case, days away to death. And I think that this is how uh, progressive organizations in the future are going to see benefit from that. Now, Skipper, let me ask you a question real quick. How did you come up with Kendrick Global Enterprises? When did you decide to go ahead and say, hey, I'm doing my own thing and this is what I want to move forward with? Um, 
That started many, many years ago when I got my first pink slip from the shipyard. Uh, the president walked in one day and says, you've done a good job, young man. Uh, thank you very much, and your administrative assistant is taking over. And as such, uh, as such, we are going to let her take over and run the ship from there. So it was with that experience and with that learning that I've developed my philosophies over a period of years. And in doing so, I thought I had a career path and I thought I had something that was going to stand me in good stead for the going down and for the years to come. So um, it, it kind of set the tone for where I've been and uh, wanted to do something. And I don't think a lot of people ask me, you know, what are you going to do when you retire? Well, I am retired uh, and I'm doing what I like, uh, trying to help people. And uh, people seem to be amenable to that and call, ring the phone, send me emails asking for help. So it's been a process that didn't just pop up. It's been, a, as I uh, call students and talk to students within the various areas, that uh, have your plan A and B uh, because you're in control of your own career. And I was fortunate enough to start way back when of having a plan B and having a plan C. And I've been one of those fortunate individuals where the plans have come to fruition. Now I will tell. Now I'll I'll will tell you. I've been to safetybyskipper.com and it definitely looks like a one-stop shop. You have so much information on there, and I'm amazed that you have it open where everybody can see a good chunk of it. But it's amazing the amount of clients that you have, the seminars that you offer. So if somebody was interested in contacting Kinder Global Enterprises and they wanted to do business with you, what is the best way to go about it? Uh, best way to go about it is to, number one, thank you for that. Take a look at the website. And um, if there's something that you think you might be able to um, partner with, or if I might be able to give you a hand, either through actual or just to sit down and talk about it, because many, many of my former mentors have done just as we've done, spend a little time talking on the phone, no billable hours associated with it, uh, and giving back to a profession that's given me a very, very good livelihood. Um, take a look at www.safetybyskipper or skipper.kendrick at gmail.com. Or give me a shout on my cell phone at 817-300-7233. And thank you for the opportunity for that paid commercial. <laughs> well, Skipper, I do appreciate you actually coming on today. I, I know that the audience will enjoy this information that we have discussed here today on Safety FM. Thank you, sir. For more information on James Skipper Kendrick, please go to safetybyskipper.com. And for more information on Jay Allen, the country singer, and his song titled Blank Stairs, go to jallenofficial.com. And remember, all the proceeds from Blank Stairs will go to fighting Alzheimer's disease. Thank you for listening to the podcast. This has been your safety manager and host, Jay Allen. And until next time, be safe. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen. We are changing safety cultures. One broadcast and one podcast at a time. SafetyFM.com. Join the, fun. Join the fun on social media and find us on Facebook at Safety FM.